Good afternoon. Welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider, each week with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey. Good evening from Israel. Um, obviously, again, you know, we've talked about this uh, uh, quite a bit. Uh, when I'm asked to write the description of the event, it's usually a few days in advance. Uh, you know, and a few days ago, everyone was talking about last week's uh, terror attacks, which uh, claimed the lives of um, 11 people. Um, so it was very important to talk about those, but obviously today we're talking about something else completely. Um, at, let's start at the end. At 6.46, uh, one of Israel's foremost comment political commentators, I mean, Segal, released uh, to the news that... Um, uh, Edith Silman, uh, who is actually the coalition whip, uh, had resigned from the coalition. Now, this caught everybody by surprise. As we know, the coalition has 61 uh, uh, votes, 61 seats to uh, the opposition's 59. Um, so what this does, essentially, is it evens up the number. It's, it makes it into a tie, uh, 60 each. Um, uh, uh, 60 each, which uh, leaves us in a bit of a limbo. So what is, what is this, why did this come about, first of all? Uh, since uh, this government was formed, um, those uh, who were considered right-wing religious members were essentially targeted uh, by the opposition, which is seen itself as a right-wing uh, religious opposition, and it tried to identify certain uh, quote-unquote weaker links uh, that it could maybe persuade or harass, uh, might be more accurate. was considered one of those weaker links. Uh, she was harassed. They had outside her uh, house uh, regular uh, demonstrations. Uh, her husband to work apparently was uh, harassed. Her children in the uh, the, the youth organization that they belong to were harassed. She was harassed in her synagogue. She was harassed at uh, uh, weddings that she went to and family events. She was harassed on the street. According to her, she was even physically assaulted at a, a gas station, petrol station at one point. It was uh, a lot of pressure put on her, not just on her, but she was definitely uh, identified as one of the weak links. Um, throughout these, these 10 months, uh, she has pretty much... Uh, sat relatively quietly in the coalition. She's done her work as the coalition whip, made some mistakes, but uh, that's to be expected from a relatively rookie uh, politician, especially in such a pressure job as the coalition whip with uh, such narrow margins between the opposition and the coalition. Uh, but uh, lately, she's definitely come out on certain issues which she understands is closer to her base as a right-wing religious uh, woman. Ostensibly, uh, the issue which, um, you know, was the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, this idea that in, uh, in uh, during Pesach, uh, for those, uh, uh, you know, observant Jews amongst us, uh, know that you're not allowed to eat uh, leaven, what's called chametz, 
And uh, for a number of years, uh, hospitals um, were basically, the, the guards at hospitals uh, around the country were telling people uh, not to bring in any food that has chametz, that has any leavened bread or anything like that. Uh, but then in 2020, um, uh, a secular movement took that uh, to court and basically the Supreme Court decided that the, there's no legal basis for that and uh, guards cannot uh, uh, ask anyone entering hospitals during uh, Passover festival to bring, uh, uh, you know, not to bring in leavened bread, chametz, whatever it is. Um, this happened under Netanyahu and last year, uh, for example, uh, the Supreme Court ruling was upheld during the, uh, you know, uh, the right-wing religious uh, government uh, led by Netanyahu. Uh, this year, um, the Minister of Health, uh, Nitzan Horowitz from the Meretz Party, which is a left-wing secular party, sent out a letter to hospital administrators or managers or director generals saying uh, uh, to uphold that Supreme Court ruling. Apparently that incensed Edith Selman, who is the head of the um, health committee in the Knesset. And she said, this is a disgrace. A person like that has no right to be a minister uh, in a, a, a government of a Jewish state. And she really uh, lambasted um, the health minister on it. Most people thought, okay, she wants to have her say, she wants to look tough, she wants to look like she's standing by her principles, but it will die down. Prime Minister Bennett, said pretty much the same thing. This is not a major issue, don't worry about it, we'll, we'll fix it, everyone just has to calm down a little bit. Amazingly, and as, as I said, when the country woke up at 6.46 to this announcement, uh, amazingly, Prime Minister Bennett apparently heard about it the same as the rest of us. Uh, he was completely um, taken by surprise, uh, according to uh, people around him. It wasn't something that he foresaw. Uh, but what had happened is that, again, uh, because of the pressure, uh, because perhaps she saw the writing on the wall, as we know, Yamina, uh, as a party that won seven seats at the last elections, immediately won, although Zamichai Shikli left, well, didn't leave uh, Yamina officially, but he decided not to go into the government and basically acted as a singular vote uh, in the opposition on behalf of Yamina. And... Um, so basically, Prime Minister Bennett, who has, who had, who has, well now he has five uh, seats, but before that he had six seats, uh, just didn't seem to be able to get his people in line. A lot of people attributing this to, you know, the demands of the job as Prime Minister. He's involved with diplomatic issues, security issues, you know, uh, many, many national issues uh, every minute of the day. What he didn't do enough of, uh, people are saying, including members of his own party, is pay attention to what's going on, in, in, uh, on, on the ground politically. Uh, it does seem that uh, almost all of the polls that have come out have not seen them uh, move up at all in the polls. They haven't gained anything according to really pretty much 95, 99% of the polls. Uh, and they even, uh, people have dissected the polls say that all of the form, none of the votes that they would receive today are their base, which is again, that right wing religious, uh, Bennett perhaps was trying to attract a more centrist, perhaps more traditionally minded or even secular minded, um, centrist or center right. So he uh, was uh, doing things that perhaps uh, his base wouldn't uh, approve of. Um, one of his members of Knesset today, apparently in a meeting when he called the 
other remaining members of the party to a meeting, they accused him of uh, not taking enough care politically, not, ca uh, not caring enough about his base. Uh, Natalie Bennett himself used the term West Bank uh, to refer to the area over the Green Line. Now, while most of the world uses the term West Bank in Israel, especially on the right, uh, the, the term West Bank is never used. It's Judea and Samaria, and especially as a former uh, chairman of the Yesha Council, which is the council representing Israeli citizens that live over the Green Line, uh, Judea and Samaria, it was very surprising and even shocking to hear him use those terms. Some say that, uh, again, when Secretary, US Secretary of State Lincoln uh, accused um, uh, settlers of, uh, of, of violence, he didn't stand up to him. And there's, uh, there's, there's various other things. They didn't build enough uh, in the settlements. There's a lot of accusations that certain members of the party uh, have on him. So where does that leave us today? Uh, it basically leaves us in a bit of, well, not a bit, in, in paralysis. There are a few different scenarios going forward and how this can play out. Um, the one way, which is uh, what the coalition leaders, you know, from the beginning of this coalition, I have spoken about the fact that the co if it was left up to coalition leaders, this government would probably uh, realize its full term. Uh, they, they know how to work together despite some disagreements. They understand the necessity to work together, the necessity to compromise on certain issues. And that's the way it's mostly been. But there are obviously other members uh, within each of their parties. Uh, but the leaders met today after this shock announcement and basically um, said that they would like to carry on uh, the government for as long as possible. What it does mean, though, is in the Knesset, as far as votes are concerned, they don't have a majority. If everybody turns up and everybody votes, you know, according to the coalition and opposition lines, no laws will be passed from, from this moment on. Certainly no basic laws, which are sort of quasi-constitutional laws, uh, which, uh, which, which are above uh, regular laws, which you need a 61 uh, votes to pass. The other thing that is now certain not to pass is the budget, which they have to pass by March next year. Now, uh, in recent weeks, we've been hearing a lot, especially from Finance Minister Avito Lehman, that he wanted to push uh, the budget issue off the table for the two years subsequent, because there is a budget for this year, uh, by dealing with that in the next couple of months. Now, there is no way that that will pass because you need uh, a 61. So this government at most, unless the really unthinkable happens and someone comes across from the opposition, which I think is exceedingly unlikely and the least likely scenario here. So basically this government at the best case scenario has until March, 2023. Now the opposition has a couple of options here. Uh, the most likely is that they will try and get one more vote to get that 61 to pass a law to disperse the Knesset. A law to disperse the Knesset means basically the Knesset is, this Knesset is over and we have 90 days or 100 days, I can't remember how long it is, until the next elections. Um, that is the most likely scenario because all they need now is one more vote. And there is talk that... Uh, probably another Yamina person may go. At the moment, um, no one is coming forward, but that could all change uh, pretty soon. Apparently, Abiy Akara was part of this meeting with uh, Edith Silman, who had with uh, also with Amichai Shikli, the renegade, the original renegade Yamina, and they were going to form a faction because this is also important. As things stand, if there are elections, Edith Silman, who has been promised for her defection, 
um, to basically be number to be number ten on the Likud list and be the next Minister of Health. Now, according to Knesset rules, as things stand, she will not be able to run in the next uh, elections because she left her party. And once you leave your party in a Knesset, you can't run with an established list in the next elections. So as things stand, she cannot run. But if another member of Yemina leaves and they join with Shikli and Tidit Zilman, they can form um, a, a breakaway party because you need over a third of a party to join a breakaway party, then you can have full funding, then you can run in the next elections, et cetera, et cetera. But as I said, I think that most likely scenario is someone will be convinced by Yamina uh, because now they see the writing on the wall and this is a government which will be almost completely paralyzed. Obviously it can pass governmental decisions, executive decisions, uh, but as far as the Knesset goes, it's basically going to be almost complete paralysis. That's the most likely. Another scenario is, uh, a vote of no confidence, um, which basically needs not just a vote of 61, but you need to form a government with 61 uh, seats. And what the problem is here, even though the opposition is now up to 60 seats, six of those are with the joint Arab list, which will not sit in any Netanyahu-led government. Um, so basically they have 54 at this point. So they would need at least seven to be able to form a government because you have to lay out that government, who's going to lead it, who's going to be the ministers, who are the people who would sign on to such a thing. Uh, the only party available with those sort of numbers is blue and white. And we get back to the point of Defence Minister Benny Gantz. And we know Benny Gantz has sat with uh, uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu in the past and was promised to be uh, Prime Minister. And obviously we know that uh, that promise was reneged on. Uh, so there's a lot of distrust between the two. But if Benny Gantz was promised uh, rotation to be prime minister immediately and first, maybe the game would change. The other thing that uh, is important to note is if there was a law to disperse the Knesset, according to coalition agreement, the, the moment after, uh, Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, the leader of the uh, Yashatid party, would immediately become prime minister. Now, why is that important? First of all, it gives uh, Naftali Bennett a sort of threat to some of the members of his right-wing party that if you go to the other side and we do pass a dispersal of Knesset law, Yair Lapid, this left-wing, uh, as they would, they would probably frame him or left of centre, um, leader would then become prime minister. And as we know from every single poll that has been undertaken for the last three years, neither bloc has a majority which could mean we could have not just one election coming, but maybe another one on top of that. And who knows, maybe another one on top of that. That could mean that Yair Lapid is Prime Minister of Israel for months, if not a year. Now that is obviously a threat, and that also may play into Benny Gantz's uh, decision-making because Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid are not just political rivals, they also have major personal differences between them. So these are all the factors on the other side. Netanyahu certainly prefers the option of going to elections. He believes that he will only strengthen in the polls, uh, and he has certainly strengthened the polls, but again, there has not been a single poll which has shown his bloc receiving the necessary 61. So either they would need someone to come across from the uh, other side, or we would go for another set of elections. Uh, some of his partners want different things. As we know, Arya Derry took a plea bargain, the leader of Shas, uh, a, a couple of months ago, which meant that he has to step down from the Knesset, but he can run in the next Knesset, which means Shas would want new elections because they would want their leader back in the Knesset. 
the Ashkenazi ultra-Orthodox party, United Torah Judaism, does not want new elections. They would like to form an alternative government within this Knesset. And in fact, one of the leaders of the party, Moshe Gaffney, interestingly said this morning, that it's time that the opposition also did a bit of soul searching. And perhaps it is time for someone else to lead uh, you know, the opposition and would-be government uh, with someone who has more likelihood of forming the government, which was a direct attack to a certain extent on Netanyahu. Now, subsequently, he retracted his comments and said he was misunderstood, even though everyone uh, heard the words very clearly and they're on record. But it does show that there is an openness there um, to consider someone else uh, other than Netanyahu to lead the government. That's unlikely to happen just because uh, Netanyahu will not, will not allow it. Uh, but perhaps that sort of flexibility is what some, uh, someone like Benny Gantz is looking for. Benny Gantz, as we know, has pretty good relations with the ultra-Orthodox parties. I'm sure that they will be reaching out to him day and night to try and see what he needs and offer him the world. Uh, whether Netanyahu signs on or not is a whole other thing. The days, I, I believe that the next few days, uh, there is a momentum towards the opposition, towards the right-wing religious opposition. They held a, a big demonstration in the government uh, court outside the prime minister's uh, office uh, this evening. It was a bit of a show of strength. Netanyahu spoke. Uh, you know, it was all smiles, all cheers, all applause singing and dancing so they definitely feel that they have the momentum they feel it's only a matter of a small a short amount of time until this government falls uh, as i said this government does now have a ticking clock uh maximum it could survive is march unless something unthinkable happens which i, I don't see at this point um so those are sort of uh, the scenarios to play out my, my particular view is that someone else from yamina there's a very strong likelihood that they will leave because they'll, they'll see the writing on the wall, they'll look at their, just as Edith Selman did, look at her own personal uh, you know, uh, future and say, well, this government is done anyway, I, I may as well not go down with this uh, sinking ship. Uh, Yamina is polling minimally. Uh, this government has already got a shelf life on it. So why should I go down with it? There'll be a lot of pressure. If it can survive at least the next few weeks until the Knesset returns in May, uh, perhaps there will be the momentum, the momentum of the uh, opposition will be halted a little bit and perhaps we'll get back into some sort of uh, status quo. Again, where there will be uh, political parliamentary paralysis, perhaps, uh, but at the government level, that it's possible that they'll still be able to do some of the reforms that they uh, set out at the beginning uh, of of the Knesset in, in their uh, wide and holistic agenda. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions on this or any other issues relating to Israel. Laura, thank you so much. So the first question is, uh, if the coalition government uh, with the tie are, is unable to pass any laws, why would it want to stay in, in power until March, 2023? Well. First of all, because the alternative is not to be in power at all. You know, don't forget there's many, many ministers there who still have ministries to run. And as I said, that there's still a lot they can do at the ministerial level, the government level, they can pass uh, executive decisions at the ministerial level, just not laws. The difference between laws and, and uh, what are called government decisions, our government decisions can be easily just um, replaced um, in a subsequent government. A law has to be then uh, relitigated and go through the whole process with the uh, 
committees and all the three votes and etc. So it's always preferable on an important issue for something to go through the Knesset. But there's still a lot that can be done between now and then. You know, every uh, minister, minister in their ministry has a plan, has something that they'd like to do, and don't forget to go into elections tomorrow as opposed to after six months when perhaps the economy is looking a bit better, perhaps some of the ministers have got a few more achievements uh, behind them is a very different proposition. Thank you for clarifying that. Uh, and a follow-up to that, how does the Israeli public feel uh, about the current situation? Well, the, there was, that was polled tonight immediately. And you know, there's always gonna be a sort of reflex feeling about this. And sometimes it's best to let the dust settle, but that's not what they pay pollsters for. Um, and the numbers were sort of almost a third, a third, a third, a third, want to carry on uh, with this government. A bit less than that, uh, would like to uh, see an alternative government, in other words, the right-wing religious government, and around 20%, so it's not really a third, but the final part, but 20% would like to go to elections. So it shows that uh, the majority would like this to be worked out at the political level, without having to go back to the public, because there is a weariness about uh, uh, you know, elections. And again, because of the polls that we saw even tonight, all of the major uh, TV stations did polls. And again, it, it meant, it meant uh, deadlock if those uh, results came out after elections. So the government, uh, the people, uh, four-fifths of the people at least, um, just would not like to go to elections. So there are those scenarios where we don't go to elections. Uh, my feeling is that that eventually is what will happen with those days, weeks or months. Eventually we will just go to another elections and perhaps even other elections beyond that. Thank you. Eric asked, did the Likud break the law by offering Selman a spot? Will she now vote with the opposition? I guess since she resigned now, but. Well, well the, second, uh, the second question, yes. Uh, she will now sit with the opposition. Uh, as far as breaking the law, there is a law uh, that you're not allowed to offer uh, someone a future position. That all goes back to uh, the days of Yitzhak Rabir, uh, no, it's Shimon Peres, the so-called stinking maneuver at the end of the 80s where positions were offered to try and break up the government. And then uh, they legislated uh, that you can no longer do that. But it's, it's a relatively vague law and it's done pretty much been done in the last few years. Um, I think the NGO movement for uh, uh, quality of government or government quality, whatever it's called, uh, has already petitioned the Supreme Court about this. Um, but I, you know, again, I don't think anything's been signed anywhere or anything's official. So I think it'll be very hard uh, to uh, overrule it. But again, as I said, as things stand, if we went to elections tomorrow, Edith Zillman would not be able to um, stand on the Likud slate, but she could still be a minister without being a member of Knesset because we have uh, many of those uh, currently. So uh, I think that's, that's where those uh, issues stand at the moment. Thank you. Len gets us, in between all these coalition issues, who's watching the progress on the Iran deal? <laughs> it's a very good question. Uh, you know, if you ask, some who are critical of the fact that Prime Minister Bennett is not focusing enough on, on the ground politics. Uh, he's very much involved in the uh, Iran issue. In fact, you know, it seems so long ago, but it was only a few days ago, it came out that uh, another way that they were going to ensure uh, that the um, 
turnover between Bennett and the period that actually take place, which was supposed to take place uh, in the latter part of 2023, was uh, that uh, Naftali Bennett, whatever position he took after, would still be in charge of the uh, Iran dossier. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm not particularly worried that there, there are a lot of diplomats involved in this, a lot of security officials involved in this. Certainly, the Prime Minister will, will have been distracted today and will certainly be distracted in days to come. Will perhaps need to uh, care and pay more attention to what's going on, uh, uh, you know, domestically, politically. Um, but I, I wouldn't worry. It's not as if uh, Israel is going to stop functioning in the days and weeks ahead. Israel managed to function for two years without a, 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 a you know, without a stable government. Um, so I, I'm not overly worried. I'm, not, you know, like everyone in Israel, we're we're worried about the the way things are moving and, and the agreement and. Iran's uh, move towards nuclear weapons capability, but I'm not particularly worried about Israel's uh, uh, you know, leadership potential span on this issue because it is so important. Thank you. And another question on current affairs. Uh, Ken Miller asked if the government, or sorry, uh, Carrie Hillebrand asked, uh, will Alia from the Ukraine be impacted? By, no, again, because Aliyah is not, there's, there's no real laws that need to be passed. Um, you know, government decisions can be taken, whether it's in the Ministry of Aliyah and Absorption, whether it's the Finance Ministry, if they need to find money. Uh, as I said, the, the, the ministers have worked very well on this issue and most issues um, throughout this government. So um, most of issues that do not need uh, a law to be passed in the Knesset will, will continue. Um, and uh, when it comes to Aliyah, there's pretty much cross-bench uh, consensus on the need to help anyone who needs to make Aliyah, especially at the moment, from uh, the Ukraine. Thank you. Now to Ken Miller's question. Uh, if the government issues executive orders, uh, since there's no constitution in Israel, how does the, the Israeli Supreme Court base their decisions as being illegal? On a government decision. Well, first of all, as I said, there are quasi-constitutional laws, which are uh, what is of course the, the basic laws, uh, but there will be no more new ones of those. Um, but uh, we do have quite an activist uh, Supreme Court in Israel, which sometimes take on issues that they were not even asked uh, to necessarily. So they can take on an issue that they believe is against the character of the state. You know, I, I, again, some of the basic laws on you know, the nature of the state, whether it's uh, the Jewish nature of the state, basic rights, and all those sort of things, you know, the Supreme Court will look at those and will judge whether uh, any of the executive decisions, again, I, I, I use the term executive decision just because it's the most familiar to our American viewers. Uh, we don't have a presidential system, so there is no one person who has executive power. The executive power is invested in the government, uh, but each ministry has uh, the, uh, the, um, the opportunity to do what's called hachletat memshalah, a sort of a government decision. So uh, if it decides, uh, like, for example, the agricultural reform, if the agricultural ministry wants to continue with the reform, even though it will have zero chance of passing the Knesset, it can still continue uh, to do it at the ministerial level. Thank you so much. And... Uh... I don't believe the coalition was able to get around to passing any uh, term limits or anything like that. But Len Levin asked, could Netanyahu be eligible as prime minister again so soon? 
he's eligible yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There's nothing to prevent him. The court cases are going on, and there's been quite some fascinating uh, events taking place there with some of the uh, state witnesses giving uh, some uh, very open uh, and uh, from the Netanyahu camp some worrying statements about what Netanyahu did, uh, you know, and these cases of breach of trust and, and fraud and, and, and some of these other serious allegations. But until, uh, if and when he's convicted, uh, he can continue to uh, try to be prime minister and even serve as prime minister. Uh, there is, excuse me, another question that's come up uh, in Israel is, does this make a plea bargain more likely or less likely? Some say it makes it more likely because he has a stronger hand with the state prosecution office. I believe it makes it less likely because now there's a good likelihood at some point in the near future that he may return to office uh, and maybe be able to pass one of those laws that ensures the court case either is put off until after he's prime minister, perhaps is uh, taken away completely or allows him to run even if he is convicted. These are all laws that have been broached in the past by members of the good. Netanyahu keeps on claiming they're nothing to do with me. I didn't even know about them, but you know, it's clear that that's not strictly true. So uh, now that the chance has certainly increased that he could return to being prime minister uh, and possibly passing these laws, I think there'll be less of an impetus for him to take any uh, potential plea bargain. So in my mind, it's certainly lowest those chances. Thank you. And you did say that if, if uh, a, a Netanyahu-less government is unlikely, but uh, is there truth to that statement that you, you mentioned earlier about it being easier to form a right-wing government without him? That's been true since the beginning. If Netanyahu would have allowed someone else in it could to form a government, this government would never have happened. Uh, new hope of Gidon Saar, Yamina of, um, of Naftali Bennett, maybe even uh, Yisrael Beitena would have joined such a government. Israel Beitena also have a problem being in a government with the ultra-Orthodox parties, but certainly those other two parties wouldn't have a problem, maybe even Blue and White, maybe even Yeshatid, who knows, could have formed a government very, very easily. Uh, and that's what uh, Moshe Gaffney was referring to, the fact that uh, perhaps it's time to look at those other options, but as things stand, I, I think the chances of anyone else leading a block like that uh, is extremely unlikely. Maria, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. Uh, for our viewers and listeners, please join us at Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Elal Zeiser discussing Israeli universities after American academics opted for BDS. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.